0: Welcome to the 70th episode of the Head KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC Fight Night, Matush Gamrat versus Armin Sarukian. And once we get done with that, we're going to go over some fight news. We have four fights that have been announced or had, that have been canceled or moved or, or things like that. So we're going to discuss those. And once we get done with that, we're going to get out of here. Um, I'm going to do a preview of For UFC 276 later this week that way we have two shorter episodes instead of one super long episode so um, look out for the UFC 276 preview I'll watch film for that and give you some uh, technical analysis of of what to expect in those fights so um, make sure you're prepared for that on either Thursday or Friday at the latest but for now Let's get right in to UFC Fight Night, Armin Sarukian versus Matush Gamrat. Now, um, if you did not see, this was a very close and very competitive fight that uh, Matush Gamrat won via unanimous decision. Now, in the fight itself, this was very clear that these were two of the top prospects at lightweight. I know they're both in the top 15 so they're not really prospects anymore but both of these guys proved that they are the next generation of lightweights Um, the things we saw from these two in the grappling department were off the charts we had a lot of really good wrestling scrambles high high level wrestling um, that that we really don't see often in the sport Um, we saw we saw everything from scrambles to we were seeing chain wrestling we are seeing some great defense. I mean, the wrestling in the first couple rounds of this fight were off the charts. Near the later portions of this fight, uh, Matryosh Gamrat started to pull ahead in those categories because I believe he was um, a little bit fresher. And when Armin Sarukian started to tire a little bit, he wasn't as effective in those wrestling scrambles. They were already super competitive. So when one guy gets the advantage in the cardio, he's then going to have that advantage on, um, in the scrambles as well. And then on the feet, Armin Sarukian did a lot of really, really good work early. He landed a lot of solid body kicks. Um, he threw a couple head kicks in there. Um, he landed a spinning um, spinning back kick to kind of the face-ish region. Landed right in this general area. It's, it's kind of hard to tell exactly where it landed, but it looks like it at least clipped the chin of Matush Gamrot. But Matush Gamrat seemed to have the better hands. Um, so Armin was you know, landing the better kicks in the exchanges, but um, Matush was being more consistent, landing some really good strikes with his hands, showed some really strong boxing, and did his damage in, in that way. And then um, I, I'm not really sure what else there is to discuss in that fight. I think it was pretty evenly matched. I think that's the number one thing that I, I took away from this is these two guys are very close skill wise and that these guys are going to be very tough to beat for a lot of guys in that top 15 I mean just looking at the rankings these guys are better than some of these guys that are ranked ahead of them and I think this really establishes that we have a new era of lightweights upon us um, when I'm looking at the rankings um, you see guys like Faziv, Gamrat, Armin Saruki, and all right next to each other. Um, those guys are going to make a run at the top five in this division. And it's going to be very interesting next week, um, or excuse me, in two weeks, we'll see the first look at that when Rafael Faziv looks to take on Rafael Dos Anjos, um, Matush Gamrat is probably going to get booked against someone like a Benil Daryush, Michael Chandler, Islam Islam oof, um probably not yet against some some of the super high level competition like Islam, um, like like Poirier, like Gechi. Um, I don't think we get all of those guys um, in that top four, top five quite yet. I'm gonna be really interested in how they book the remainder of this division, um, but we're gonna like I said we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, before we talk about that, let's talk about the scoring. Once again, I disagreed with how the judges scored this contest. I think it was very clear that Armin Sarukian won two rounds. um, And then the final three rounds were very 50-50. But I did score round four for Armin Sarukian. I once again am disagreeing with the judges. and, And it's getting old at this point to come here every week and talk about judging and what we expect and what we need to see from judges. Um... But I I think we have to at this point because of some, some of the things we're seeing. I mean, when you look at how this fight was scored, um, the the swing round in this one I believe is round four. That is the round that um, you know all three judges gave round four to Gamrat, and I've seen a lot of people. Uh, on social media say uh, they scored that round for Armin Sarukian, and so did I. So uh, from what I've gauged, that is the swing round in this fight in terms of the judging. And when I watch that fight, I see one guy who who lands a knockdown with a spinning back fist. I have a really hard time. I have a really, really hard time saying that guy lost that round. When you watch a fight and, say, and, and you're watching a round and someone lands a knockdown with a spinning back fist, I think... They should win that round a high percentage of the time. Now, Gamrot did some really good things in that round. He had a good round. He made that round competitive despite being dropped. But I think at the end of the day, if if damage is truly the number one thing that we're looking for in a fight, I think a knockdown is the biggest indicator of doing damage to your opponent that there is. Um, And... Before you know, you could very easily call me a hypocrite here because I have spoken in the past about about valuing control time over damage and to a certain extent um, That was the argument that I made in Ketlin Vieira, and uh, Against Holly Holm and I made that same argument in Talia Santos versus Valentina Shevchenko now with that being said if you're looking at the swing rounds in those fights valentina shevchenko never had a knockdown against talia santos in one of the first three rounds kevin vieira did not have a knockdown against holly Holm. so i think you get to a point where that damage outweighs the the control time in a way right if you get controlled for three and a half minutes but land four good strikes on the feet i don't think you should win that round however if you land a knockdown, I, I think that is enough damage to outweigh some of the grappling done in that round, and that's coming from someone who, um, you know, I, I, I usually lean towards grappling. I, I look for grappling. Who's winning these grappling exchanges, and I like to reward them, and that was Matush Gamera in that fourth round, winning those grappling exchanges. However... Um, the, the thing that I have said in the past is you cannot let someone control you for a large portion of the round, whether that be up against the fence or whether it be on the ground and expect to win that round. At the same time, I don't think you can success. I don't think you can let someone knock you down and then expect to win that round. I think that is the flip side uh, of that equation. You cannot, um, you cannot get knocked down. If you are going to play this game where we, we value this control time, that that's okay. But but it needs to be consistent. In my eyes, when you look at these three fights as of as of late and, and you assess the damage, and if you pick the close rounds in each fight, if you were to line up Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieta, Shevchenko versus Tyler Santos, and Armin Sarukin versus Matush Gamrot. And if you're, and, and a reminder on this, you're just looking at the swing rounds, right? Valentina Shevchenko did a lot of really good damage in some of those rounds against Tyler Santos, but she clearly won those rounds. I'm referring to the swing rounds in those. And when I say swing round, I mean round that can go either way. The round that causes, you know, a a swing round in my mind is the round that causes a a fight to go to the wrong the wrong decision. So what I mean by that is. A swing round in Josh Emmett versus Calvin Cater is round four. That is the closest round, um, and that's the round that— well, actually, it's not the closest round, actually. Um, But that's the round that really caused um, the fight to go into Josh Emmett's favor. Uh, You can make the same case for round two. You can have more than one swing round. Um, But that's besides the point. If you look at those swing rounds in, in all three of those fights, if you say who did the most damage in the, in the swing rounds, it would be Armin Sarukian. Armin Sarukian landing a spinning backfist and landing a knockdown is the epitome of damage. And we see that fight get scored in the favor of the guy who has the control time. Well, in the other two fights, we saw it get scored in the favor of the person who did the most damage. Now, I'm I'm... If if you tell me damage is the most important thing 10 out of 10 times, okay. If you tell me control is the most important thing 10 out of 10 times, okay. But at a minimum, we have to be consistent. Because when you give the guy who did the most damage and you don't score that round for him, but the other two, you just say, oh, well, they did they did more damage. They, they deserve to win that round. You know, it's the inconsistency that bothers me. It's the inconsistency that makes it, you know... It's the inconsistency that results in questionable decisions if we scored fights the same 10 out of 10 times I I wouldn't have as much complaint in decisions going the wrong way You know what I mean? If we were to score all three of those fights and score them all for the person with control or all for the person with more damage um, That's fine But but I think it has to be done that way you can't pick and choose when when control matters more than damage, and when damage matters more con- than control. Um, with that being said, Matush Gamrot is, is still an incredible fighter, and when when I talk about decisions going the wrong way, I'm not doing it too disparaged or, or knocked down the person that won the fight. Rather, I just disagree with the decision. Matush Gamrot is still an incredible fighter. This seemed like the fight that, you know, you have two guys who have i believe 11 and 12 next to their name um but these guys are way more talented than 11 and 12 in those lightweight rankings they beat a lot of guys at lightweight um now i'm once again i'm i think it went the wrong way but you know you can't really do much more right now that i've talked about why i think it went the wrong way i can't really sit here and do much more uh, with that, so we're going to move on and, and we're going to talk about what is next for both of these guys. And we are going to start with the winner in, in Matush Gamrat. And Matush is in a really interesting spot here because his win here, he had a great win. He deserves to move up in these rankings. But I ask myself, who does Matush Gamrot fight next? If you're looking ahead of him in the rankings, is he going to get a fight against Conor McGregor or Tony Ferguson? No, he's not going to get those fights. You know, those guys are 8 and 9 too. So when you're looking at a guy who just won in the 11 spot, usually 8 and 9 is a decent range to expect for your next fight. Um, but that's out of the question for Matush Gamera. If you're looking at 7 and 10, which are two other very possible outcomes, you have Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fazil. Uh The winner is going to move up and fight some more highly skilled competition. Um, so, the loser of that one, I think, would be a possibility. But at the same time, you know, if, if Hafael if Faziv loses, you're putting yourself in a situation where we're now going to match Matush Gamra up with another young up and comer. And that may not be the most beneficial thing to do, is have all these young guys fight each other when they're the future of these divisions. Um, and, the, and then from there, I think the fight that really makes sense is number six, Bunil Daryush. There's been a lot of a lot of talk about Benil Daryush getting a title shot, and I'm really just not there. Um, looking at what Benil Daryush has done, he has wins. Let's go over who he has beat to get to the number six spot in the rankings um, because I, I really don't follow why... He is so high in these rankings at this point. He has an incredible record, and he has, has some incredible wins. Um, so Benil Daryush has wins over Thiago Moises, Drew Dober. Very good wins that get you in the rankings. Frank Camacho, Drukar Close, Scott Holtzman, not tremendous. Diego Fajeda and Tony Ferguson. Um, that win over Tony Ferguson doesn't necessarily incredibly impress me. Tony Ferguson didn't look great in that fight. It didn't seem like there was much competition there. So realistically, I think Peniel Dariush versus Matush Gamrat makes a level of sense. And if Peniel Daryush can beat someone like Matush Gamrat, I think he would deserve himself a, a fight against a high-level high, high level opponent. And when you're looking at that division right now, you're probably going to see Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhachev. And then you're going to see something like Dustin Poirier. Versus Justin Gaethje. And you're going to see something like Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor. That's a very real outcome. And that leaves number six, Benil Darius, sitting there with no opponent. So I think a fight against Batush Gamrot would make sense. You can take out that young up-and-comer before he jumps you. For example, look at Islam Makhachev. Was that up-and-comer in that division. And he has completely jumped Benil Darius in line for a title shot. Um, I know they were supposed to fight. And... Um, that fight was canceled. But look at who's at ranked ahead of who, and look who's going to get the title shot. It's Islam Maka- Makhlchev. Excuse, excuse me. So I think Benil Daou should be proactive in that, and he should take out someone like Matush Gamrat, and I think that would help him. The other possible option for Benil, I guess we're not really talking about Benil, but um, the winner of Rafael dos Anjos, and Rafael Faziv would make sense. I've said those two about fifteen times in this little rant, but that would make a level of sense. At the same time, if Faziv wins, I'd like to see him booked up against like a Michael Chandler. That all depends on how that fight goes. We'll talk more about that later on. But for Matush Gamrat, um Daryush is is a name that I like. And then for Armin Sarukian, I don't think Armin Sarukian should slip too far in these rankings. Um, Like I said, I've talked about RDA and Fazeev a lot, but I think the loser of that fight would make sense for Armin. He's still fighting up in the rankings. I think he deserves that after the talent that he displayed. If Matush gets Benil, I think the loser of RDA and Fazeev makes sense for Armin Sarukian. From there, I think if Brad Riddell gets a win against Jalen Turner, or you could just just cut that out in general and go the winner of Jalen Turner versus Brad Riddell, that would make a level of sense. Maybe Armin Sarukian versus Diego Fajeda. Maybe Armin Sarukian versus Gregor Gillespie would be a good one. So, those are just some names for Armin Sarukian that keep him in that 10 to 15 range in the rankings. I know Gregor Gillespie is unranked, but um, he's effectively a ranked fighter and he's someone that a lot of people really like. So, I think all of those fights would make sense for Armin Sarukian. Moving on to the co-main event. We saw Shavkat Rachmanov defeat Neil Magny with a guillotine choke. And my goodness, Shavkat Rachmanov is incredible. I really like Shavkat Rachmanov and what he's doing right now. His climb and, and the way he has looked against some of the guys that he has beat. He did not have an easy path to get to the rankings. You know, he didn't fight very many bombs on his way up this division. Uh, most notably, he beat Alex Cowboy Oliveira in a one-sided fight. Um, Michael Perceres, Carlson Harris is someone who I personally re- really like and, th- and think highly of. And then he has now beat Neil Magny in his first fight inside of those welterweight rankings. And I think that is an incredible, incredible name to add on your resume. When you look at this fight, I was really surprised with how how well he was able to dominate from top position. Um, I assumed that Shabkat Rachmanov was going to have the advantage here in both the grappling and in the striking exchanges, um, especially the striking exchanges at a distance. I thought the clinches where Neil Magny could get some good work done, but nonetheless, you have Shabkat Rachmanov go out there and really take down a guy like Neil Magny, wear on him, and eventually. Finish him with a guillotine. And I think I speak for most people when I say this fight wasn't particularly close in my eyes. It had a feel to it like it's just a matter of time before Shafkat Rachmanov gets this done. And sometimes the way a fighter makes you feel in that sense is more important than what your eyes are are telling you. I felt as if Shafkat Rachmanov was really pulling ahead. and, And I felt that he was displaying some things that I really liked. And he just gives off this vibe of, yeah, I'm gonna come in there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit you. I'm, a, I might knock you out. I'll do what I want to do. I'm just gonna clean you out, take care of you, and and move up in those rankings. That's kind of the vibe you get from him. And he's going to be in the top ten after this fight, if the UFC would like to do a similar fight to what we saw uh, last night. Sean Brady versus Shavkat Rachmanov makes a lot of sense if you want to book two guys against each other who are next to each other in the rankings and are both going to be vying for top competition. In my eyes, what that really does is it makes it easier on the UFC to matchmake. For example, if Shavkat Rachmanov and Sean Brady fight, now you can book Shavkat Rachmanov, say Shavkat wins, just for argument's sake. Now you only have to book Shavkat Rachmanov in that top eight against the elite guys at welterweight. You don't have to worry about booking Sean Brady. He can get someone at the latter portion of those rankings. Um, Otherwise, you're looking for two veterans to fight Sean Brady and Shavkat Rachmanov. So I think that's kind of the little tricky thing that they like to do that they've been doing. They did it with Arnold Allen and Sadiq Youssef. They've increasingly have done it. I think they're going to do it with Bryce Mitchell and Mosvar Evilev soon for that same reason. Um, I don't really like it, to be honest. Um, I, I, I like to not have those guys fight, and then all of a sudden you have two guys rising in the top five. Boom, now you pair them up against each other when they're both in the top five. Um, imagine if Tom Espinall and Tai Tuivasa Vasa would have fought you know, two years ago you know, that would not be as beneficial of a situation as we have now where Tom Aspinall and Tai Tuivasa can realistically fight within the next year and both be ranked in the top five at heavyweight. So I think it makes a level of sense to not pair these guys up against each other um, until they get to the upper echelon of those welterweight rankings. In terms of names for shopcat Rachmanov, I really do not want to see him fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I think you do Wonderboy versus Masvidal. Or I think you do Wonderboy versus uh, uh, Nate Diaz or something like that. To me, the names that stick out are Bilal Muhammad and Vicente Luque. Um, that, the, both of those names make a level of sense to me. Um, Vicente Luque, you can make that better case for because he is coming off the loss when those two fought. So, you know... He is, you know, in a in worse in, in a worse position per se. Um but I think for Bilal Muhammad this makes a level of sense as well in a similar situation to Benil Daryush, where I'm not sure where I'm not sure that Bilal Muhammad is going to find himself fighting Gilbert Burns, Hamza Chumayev, Leon Edwards, or Colby Covington. I think those guys are all gonna get bucks against each other. I think we see A Hamzat Chumayev versus a Colby Covington or something like that. I think we see a Burns versus Covington and an Edwards versus Chumayev. I think we see, I think those types of scenarios and those fights make more sense than Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Or Bilal Muhammad versus Hamzat Chumayev. He just feels on the outside. He feels a step behind at five. Even though he's only one spot lower in the rankings than Gilbert Burns, those two guys don't feel like they are in the same position at welterweight right now and I think adding another win against your resume on your resume against someone like Shafkat Rachmanov is beneficial to Bula Muhammad like I said for the same reason it was against Benil Daryush where if there's ever a situation where they're both vying for a title shot if Bula Muhammad can beat Shavkat Rachmanov it prevents Shavkat Rachmanov from jumping him in those rankings. I think a lot of times we see guys focused on fighting up in the rankings, fighting up in the rankings, and all of a sudden you've been asking to fight up, where I'm asking to fight up, and then all of a sudden you've been jumped by three up-and-comers, and now you're sitting in the 8th spot looking up and going, what just happened? I was just the number 5 ranked guy in the world. Um, and I think that's a situation that can happen to Muhammad if he does not get active and fight someone in that, t- if, if he does not fight someone in the top four, I think it would make a lot more sense to go up against a Sean Brady or a Shavkat Rachmanov and really secure um, your spot in those rankings and, and really stop from what, someone from jumping you in the rankings. I think at times, like I said, guys are so focused on fo- on fighting up in the rankings, uh, they lose sight in the strategic you can play that a little bit more strategic. You know, it doesn't always have to be fighting up or fighting down. It can be playing it strategic um, and kind of getting your foot ahead of someone else. And you can play those rankings a little bit differently um, than just fighting someone ranked ahead of you. Um, Because you're not always gonna get that. Look at what happened to Gregor Gillespie. He was yelling, hey, I wanna fight up in the rankings. I wanna fight up in the rankings. Now you're not ranked anymore. So I think there is a cautionary tale to be learned, and I think there's a different way that you can approach um, fighting ranked opponents, and I think um, Benil Daryush and Blah, Blah Muhammad would both benefit from that. And it, it's really something that Neil Magny has done. If you look at Neil Magny, if Neil Magny would have won that fight, you know, he's now still ranked 10, but he doesn't have to fight Shafkat Rachmanov again. He's going to have Shafkat Rachmanov's name on his resume. That's going to be in his back pocket, and then Neil Magny is going to be looking at a, at a fight against someone like Wonder Boy, or, or Vicente Luque. Um, so you know, if Bala Muhammad were to beat Shafkat Rachmanov, I think that would legitimize him and give him, and force the opportunity, or force the UFC to give him an opportunity against someone like Gilbert Burns. Now, for Neil Magny, um, he's not really in a great spot now. Um, just because he may slide out of these rankings altogether um I'm not sure what they're gonna do with Neil yet in theory. um he's going to slide down to fifteen as Shavkat Rachmanov jumps to ten um maybe he doesn't slide well, did he beat kiesa? I think kiesa beat him right let me double check this. Um, cause I know they fought, they fought on like a Wednesday morning for some reason. I liked it actually. I didn't mind waking up and watching fights at Wednesday on Wednesday morning. Um, yeah, he lost to Michael Chiesa. So he's probably going to slide past Michael Chiesa in those rankings. Um, he, did he beat Jeff Neal? God, Neil Magni has fought so many people. I don't even, you just lose track of everyone he's fought um he did beat jeff neal so he'll probably be in between jeff neal and michael chiesa so that would put him at 10 11 12 i believe so um i don't know who he's gonna fight maybe a Pijeda, maybe a kevin holland some some guys um who, who are not ranked or or on the lower half of those rankings Ultimately, I, I imagine he gets a non-ranked opponent, and the UFC tries to push him out of the rankings after him holding up a spot in there for, for such a long period of time. Um, Josh Parisian versus Alan Boudot. This is going to be very quick. This was a very fun fight. These two hit each other a lot. They did a lot of wild stuff. Neither of them are really elite, elite martial artists. Josh Parisian got to win, and Alan Boudot is probably getting cut moving on tiago moises versus christos giagos um moises had a really good performance here got himself back in the one column i like moises um, i'm not sure that he is a top 15-esque opponent you know i don't think he can beat guys like armin or matush but um he will beat a lot of fighters like christos giagos so um he is going to be someone who i think gate keeps those 155-pound rankings for a while. Now, Umar Nurmagomedov versus Nate Maness. If you don't know, I'm not the biggest Nurmagomedov fan. I'm not like I'm not a Habib fanboy. I'm none of those things. But Umar Nurmagomedov looked really, really good here. He probably should have got a finish, but he had some really deep submission attempts against Nate Maness and he really landed some really big ground and pound you know if that fight is four rounds he probably gets him out of there in the fourth if it's five rounds he probably gets him out of there in the fourth um and if it goes to the fifth he's not making it through five Uh, so so i liked what i saw from Um umar namagomedov showed once again some very good takedowns good submission skills and good groundwork as we expect once again showed against a high level boxer that he can hang on the feet landed a really good front kick slash push kick to the face i love seeing that nothing gets me as excited as a head kick ko um obviously wasn't a ko but i still love a good head kick Umar magamanov um he should be fighting ranked competition at 135 um adrian yanez is currently ranked 15th i don't think they make that fight I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do Frankie Edgar versus Umar Nurmagomedov, um, or number 14, Jack Shore, or maybe even number 11, Rookie Simone. I think you have to give Umar Nurmagomedov a ranked opponent after his last two fights. I think he's good enough, so there's no reason to hold out and throw him more guys who are unranked, and that's not to say guys like Nate Maness are not good, because Nate Maness is a very good fighter, and I think... You know, he could eventually make a run at those rankings one day. However, um, Umar, Umar, Umar Nurmagomedov is, you know, very, very highly skilled. So, I, I've once again, I, I don't like burning fights like Jack Shaw versus Nurmagomedov. Umar, I keep messing up the name. I know how to say Umar Nurmagomedov. But for some reason, every time I say it, they blend together. And I say Umar Nur, I screw it. Um, jack shore versus umar near markham medoff um that's the type of fight where those guys could each be in the top 10 each be in the top five let's not burn that fight now while one is unranked and the other is ranked 14th so I i like frankie edgar and ricky simone fights for um umar and then you can give okay here's how we're gonna match make this we have sean o'malley versus pedro munoz the loser of Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley fights Adrian Yanez. Then you have Ricky Simone and Frankie Edgar. You do Frankie Edgar versus Umar Nurmagomedov. and you do Jack Shore versus Ricky Simone. That's how you match make that. We're going to leave it at that and continue because I just hit a home run there. Thank you very much. Chris Curtis versus Hodolfo Vieira. I love me and Chris Curtis, and he really showed that he was working that takedown defense in this one. Adolfo Vieira went 0 for 20 on takedowns. You can't use your jiu-jitsu if you can't get a takedown. On the feet, Chris Curtis was the much better fighter, and he had much better cardio. That war on Adolfo Vieira and Chris Curtis was able to go out there and get a win. It does. It is not talked about enough that Chris Curtis is a 170-pounder. He is a welterweight. The UFC called him and said, hey, We'll let you fight in the UFC. Is going to be on short notice, and you have to move up to 185 pounds to take on Phil Hawes. Chris Curtis said, well, I'm a welterweight, but I'll go up to middleweight and fight Phil Hawes. What do you do? Knocks out Phil Hawes. And then they're like, you know, you, you just knocked out Phil Hawes. You obviously earned yourself another opponent in the UFC. Um, we'll keep you around. Brendan Allen is ranked 15th, and I believe Chris Curtis stepped in again on short notice and said, well... You know, I'm 1-0 at 185. You might as well keep the train going at 185, and he gets himself a knockout. Now, he's sitting at 2-0, and they say, well, you might as well stay at 185. You want Adolfo Vieira? And Chris Curtis says, sign me up. And then he goes out there and gets an impressive 15-minute decision victory. I don't know if we're going to see Chris Curtis move back down to 170. He has looked very good at 185. Um, I think it would make sense for him go, to go down to 170 if he can make it and make it comfortably. Um, but once again, if you're fighting that well at 185, I'm not sure there is a reason to go down. At 185, you know, I think there is kind of a log jam here. You have Kelvin Gaslam at 10, Nazardine Imovov at 11. Um, Nazardine Imovov, I believe, is fighting Andre Muniz, who is 13th. Let me double check on that. Um, Andre Muniz is currently... Oh, Muniz is fighting Uriah Hall. That's on Saturday. So, my memory is just absolutely gone, apparently. Who's... who's, Okay, we're going to figure this out in real time. Nazardini Malvov. Who's he fighting? Because I've got this all twisted. Nazardini Malvov is... Supposed to fight Calvin Gaslam And that fight fell through. So just rebook that probably. Um, Brad Tavares is scheduled to fight. Juice Chris Duplice. So on Saturday. So if Brad Tavares loses on Saturday. I think Tavares versus Chris Curtis makes sense. I think if you beat the three guys that he beat at 185. You deserve to get a shot in those rankings. Um... That's really, I, I mean, I don't really know what else to say there. I think he deserves a spot in the rankings, but I will give you some alternative opponents if you disagree. Because um, I know everyone probably won't think that Chris Curtis deserves UFC opponents. Let me pull up, or ranked opponents. Let me pull up the UFC 185 pound rankings. Not rankings, uh, roster. Um, So we can find some unranked guys for him. Christoph Jutko. That makes sense if if you're looking for unranked opponents. Bruno Silva makes sense if you're looking for unranked opponents. Gerald Mershardt makes sense if you're looking for unranked opponents. Um, But at the end of the day, he's beat a lot of guys. Anthony Hernandez makes sense if you're looking for unranked opponents. We have Armin Petrosian fighting Kai, uh, what's his last name, C-A-I-O, Kai Borcello, or something like that, Um, so I think that would make sense, Um, but, you know, he has done enough good work, Brendan Allen is someone who is nearly ranked, and he, and, and Chris Curtis beat him, so he's got three wins over, Nearly ranked opponents, you can give him a fourth nearly ranked opponent, but at the end of the day, I think he deserves uh, a fight against ranked competition. Um, moving on, I don't have too much to say about a lot of these fights. Um, Carlos Olberg got himself a really nice knockout win against Tafan Kandichi so. Carlos Olberg, teammate of Israel Adesanya, is back on the train. Shailon, Nordenbeke, and TJ Brown went to absolute war. I loved watching that fight. I loved that was another fight with some really good scrambles. Um, Nordenbeke, um, very good fighter, and really deserved a win in that one. Sergey Morozov versus Holian Paiva. I like Paiva. I think he's very underrated, but Holian Paiva... Went out there and put it on Sergey Moralza for the first round. But he, Sergey, really turned it around in those last two and won those last two rounds and got himself a win. So a lot of respect there. Um, I think that's the type of fight that shows how deep 135 pounds is. Um, Cody Durden versus JP Buys. These two were very possibly fighting for their job. And, uh, Cody Durden got the win over J.P. Byes. I'll be interested to see if J.P. Byes keeps his UFC roster spot, so keep an eye out for that. Mario Bautista got a really nice submission over Brian Kelleher. Um, Mario Bautista isn't exactly a submission specialist. And, Brian Kelleher is someone who I think, you know, really gets underrated just because he's lost so many fights against guys who are so skilled, um, for example, Umar Nurmagomedov is a prime example of, he lost that fight, but Umar is very good. Um, Ricky Simone, he, he lost to Cody and he lost to Montel Jackson, John Lineker, Chido Vera, um, Jimmy Rivera. He, he lost a lot of fights against some, some really tough and really game opponents. Um, so that was a very good win for Mario Bautista. Um, and then the last fight we had Jinyu Frey versus Vanessa Dimopoulos. I won't go in depth here, but I I did have Jinyu Frey winning that fight. And I think a 30-27 scorecard for Vanessa Dimopoulos is bad enough to warrant you not, um, fighting again. So, there's that. Um, now that we have gotten through UFC fight nights, Armin Sarukian versus... Matush camera, let's move on to some news. Once again, we're gonna go very quick here. We are going to start with UFC 267. I can't remember the numbers anymore. I've been talking about UFC pay-per-views for so long, I forget which is numbered which, but UFC 26276 almost at 267. UFC 276 has had two changes. The first is that Lauren Murphy versus Misha Tate is canceled. I do not know what fight is going to replace that on the main card. Actually, we have three pieces of news. Two of them are fight changes. I do not know what fight is going to replace that on the main card. The other piece of news is that UFC 267, UFC 276, good lord, the prelims will be airing on ABC. So I don't know what fight we're going to move on the main card because we're putting Jim Miller versus Donald Cerrone, Ian Gary versus Gabe Green, Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberena, and Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. Those are the prelim card or prelim fights. You probably want those to be the four fights that are on ABC. You probably don't want to move any of those to the main card so you have a good card for ABC so you can kind of promote the the sport a little bit. And you're looking for one to fill. They might go off the early prelims. Um, I guess you could go... I'd probably stay away from Jessica I and Macy Barber and Jessica Rose Clark and Julia Stolarenko. That would just be my call. I think Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz makes a little bit of sense, but ultimately, I think you go with Dris- Driscus Duplice against Brad Tavares. Driscus is a very good prospect at 185 pounds. And... Brad Tavares is ranked number 12 at middleweight. So we're seeing a prospect here uh, uh, go up and, and really have his shot at becoming ranked. I think those types of fights are main card worthy. You know, if if, if you're looking for for an exciting fight that has a lot of stake, seeing if a prospect is going to pan out in the UFC, I think it is main card worthy. If you're looking to replace... That was something off the early prelims. I think that thinks that makes sense. And then the other piece of news off UFC 276 was that you probably already caught this, but Jim Miller will be fighting Donald Cerrone instead of Bobby Green. I am concerned for Donald Cerrone. Um, I mean, he hadn't cut to he hadn't cut to 155 in since 2019 and then he cuts to 155 for the first time then the fight gets canceled they move it back like two months or something like that or a month and a half he cuts to 155 again looks bad on the scales and now he's going to cut to 155 again two weeks after his most recent cut it's less uh, of his age even at this point but the cuts to 155 this this frequent Um, I think three cuts to 155 pounds in a year would be very testing for Donald Cerrone, but he's doing it in a span of three to four months since at least the start of the year. Um, That would be six months. Still, it's less than that. I think it's about four months at at most. I'm losing track of time here. But he cannot be cutting to 155 pounds this frequently. Really concerns me. I hope he looks good on the scale. I hope everything goes off without a hitch. And I hope both guys make it out without being injured. If you know what I mean. Now that leaves us two pieces of fight news. And then we are booking it. Um, Machine Tabora will fight Alexander Romanov on August 20th. That will be Romanov looking to get into those rankings. He might already be ranked at 15. Let me double check. Alexander Romanov is ranked 13th, and Marcin Tabor is ranked 10th. That would be his first ranked victory, and that would break him into the top 10. Irine Aldana versus Macy Chizon is taking place. Irine Aldana is ranked 4th at the female 135 pound division, while Macy Chizon is ranked 11th. Um, I wasn't exactly expecting this fight, but we will see how it goes for, um, and, that, and, that, and that could really change the landscape at 135 pounds. And those are just some quick announcements. Um, last thing before we get out of here, like I said, make sure you come back for UFC 267 preview. I, I really enjoy doing those, and I feel like I do a good job of breaking down what's at stake In each fight, and I feel like I do a good job of breaking down what, you know, what can happen, what each guy's keys to victory are, what this fight is going to look like. I feel like I do a pretty good job of breaking those things down. Um, I feel like once I watch film, which is another reason they're on Thursdays and Fridays, gives me some more time to watch film. Um, I feel like I do a good job of breaking down fights and and knowing what to expect after after I, I do my research. So um, I hope you tune in for that, and, and I hope I can give you some good technical insight for that fight. But um, either way, um, whether you come back or don't, I would like to thank you for watching this episode of the Head HeadKick KO podcast. Goodbye.